Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today on the Born to Talk radio show. My guests today are Derek and Dylan Folk. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. And hi, Dylan. Thank you for being my guest today as well. Oh, hi. Thank you. You're welcome. I I was thinking about this show, and I realized that this is really a show about love. And as we explore the world of autism from Derek's point of view as Dylan's dad and from Dylan's point of view as well, both of these men have written books on the subject and have stories to share. And that's what I, my show was all about. What is your story? The title of Derek's book is Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. And the title of Dylan's book is Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism. And both of these books are available. You can find them online easily. But Derek, I thought I would start with you, and I, I'm okay. just curious how did how did you come up with the name "Chasing the Rabbit: A Dad's Life Raising a Son with the Spectrum" on the spectrum, I should say. Well, I always describe Dylan as like a greyhound, and mm-hmm. if you picture a greyhound race, the dogs come out of the chute and they chase this mechanical rabbit around the track, and they run and run and run, and they'll exhaust themselves but they can never catch it dylan is like that greyhound and the rabbit is normal so he sees it he knows what it looks like but no matter how much he runs he just can't catch it that's that's a really interesting visual you 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 really drew that well for us thank you when when did you realize that there was something different about dylan well, when did I realize it? When my wife realized it, are two different things. Well, uh, my, you know what? I'll, I'll hear some both. I, I'd be interested in both of your stories on that. Well, I came home from work when Dylan was about two, and uh, my wife sat me down. She said, something's not quite right with Dylan. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I don't know, but something's not right. And then she went on to explain that when there are other boys over to the house, or she has a play date with other kids, they're interacting and communicating, and he's not. He's, she said, it's like he doesn't even care or notice that the other kids are in the room. I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't seem right to me. Mm-hmm. As a dad, I did not want to accept that. Uh, I didn't, and as I've traveled around, and Dylan and I have traveled all around the country sharing not only the story of Chasing the Rabbit, but now Bad Choices Make Good Stories, we've discovered that I'm not the only dad who felt this way. Dads tend to be a little more in denial on things like this than moms do. Moms are a little more intuitive. And uh, so it took me a little longer to accept it. But um, once we did, and I realized that she was right, 
uh, that's when we started to try to figure out what we could do about it. I see. Dylan, what was it like as a kid with a disability before you knew you had it? Uh, I just knew that I uh, would get very upset sometimes. I didn't really think much of it until I was in school and I saw that the teachers were, uh, you know, having me go to certain classes away from the other kids and spending much more attention on me. And uh, then I, I realized, uh, you know, I just kind of accepted that I was different and then it wasn't really much of a surprise when I was diagnosed. At I eight. see. So at eight years old. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that's interesting. Uh, I've, I've actually had shows um, with people with this experience that you are describing, and I'm, I'm really, I feel very um, honored to be discussing this subject because it's so important. And people, there's hardly anybody that you can speak with today that doesn't, have a family member or know of somebody that is on the spectrum, and we and that is a term that we that we use so broadly now. But it is so under it's, it's we are all beginning to understand the subject so much better. Derek, uh, what was that process like getting the right diagnosis? Because this was quite some time ago that that happened. Yeah, when we first started realizing that we needed to figure out what it was that was causing Dylan's strange and often difficult behavior, we started taking him to quote-unquote experts. Uh, And what we discovered pretty quickly is that whatever they specialized in was exactly what they were diagnosing with. So Dylan had a nice potpourri of diagnoses uh, before Mm -hmm. he was finally diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Uh, And in the late 80s, in the late 90s, excuse me, it was – still very new. It wasn't even a diagnosis until 1994. So when we sat, when my wife sat down with me and said there was something not quite right with Dylan, we could have taken him just about anywhere in the world and not received the correct diagnosis because Asperger's wasn't even a diagnosis at the time. So even in the late 90s, it was still very unknown. Uh, People didn't know much about it. Um, And through that, process of going to one diagnosis after another, we got very frustrated. And then eventually, as you can read about all the different diagnoses in in Chasing the Rabbit, we eventually uh, got the diagnosis that made sense. Uh, All the other ones Mm -hmm. kind of fit, but there was always something missing. There wasn't, the the dots didn't all connect. And then they finally did when when we got the autism diagnosis. Well, so was when when the actual Asperger's syndrome was was the diagnosis for Dylan. What year was that? Did you say that that wasn't like till ninety four? Ninety nine. That was uh, ninety nine. Yeah. Ninety nine. It was ninety four that they finally came up with that as a diagnosis. But nineteen ninety nine, Dylan, is when was when you were when you were diagnosed with that with that term. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Got it. Derek, I want to ask you, in your book, you talk very openly about some moments that you're not real proud of during Dylan's middle school years. Why, why did you decide to share such an intimate and personal feeling, feelings in your book? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, because I didn't think anybody was ever going to read it, so it didn't wow. really matter what I wrote. I figured hmm. 
when I finish this book and tell Dylan about it, uh, he was going to say, yeah, there's no way you're telling everybody all this stuff. Uh, it's way too personal, and I don't want everybody knowing all of this. So I honestly wrote the whole thing with the idea that it was just going to sit on my computer forever and never actually be read by anybody. So I basically just said whatever was on my mind and whatever I remembered going through. Um, and, you know, it's funny. People will often say how, oh, you know, it was very brave of you to, to write these very personal things. Well, it really wasn't because, like I said, I, I didn't think anybody was going to read it, so it didn't really matter. When Dylan wrote mm-hmm. Bad Choices Make Good Stories, he realized that people were going to read it. So the fact that Dylan's book is so raw and honest, that's really where the bravery comes because unlike me, he knew people were going to read this. Um, and that's a, that's a totally different experience in, in writing to know that what you're sharing is going to be most definitely read by a lot of people. Well, I, I'm hoping, and I know you've done a lot of public speaking, and Dylan, bless your heart, this is radio show number two for you today, because you yeah. are in demand. Yeah, well, congratulations to you. I, I think that's, that, that says a lot about why people want to speak with you, Dylan, um, and, and I'm going to tell the audience, you're going to hear humor peppered throughout this show when Dylan speaks, because Dylan's also a comic. And Dylan is a really awesome guy, and you're going to learn more about him as, as we go through the show. But I want to take you back to those early days, if you don't mind, when you were in middle school, and what kinds of things were frustrating you in those days? Because that's a tough time for everybody, but what, was, what were your frustrations? Uh, my frustrations were um, the fact that I was just kind of being – uh, left behind socially. Uh, I had had mm-hmm. somewhat of a group of friends uh, throughout elementary school, but uh, elementary school is kind of like uh, it's before social hierarchy really kicks in, kicks in in middle school. And once it kicked in, I was up for a rude awakening that uh, this is not going to be so easy. Um, you're not going to be able to just... <laughs> um, so... I, I was I was just realizing quickly that I wasn't I wasn't fitting in and I didn't know what to do about that. Um, but uh, it didn't it didn't get really frustrating until as I got older um, I started getting more and more frustrated and more and more um, uh, kind of anxious to make it happen somehow and it kind of peaked in my sophomore year um i uh that then i was finally fully conscious of the fact that i was i was not fitting in you know high school is kind of like a bell curve and you've got the popular kids all the way at the top and unpopular kids towards the bottom and then most people are somewhere in the middle and i felt like i wasn't anywhere on that on that bell curve at all because even the unpopular kids had other unpopular kids that they would hang out with. But uh, right. but even the weird kids didn't like me. And so the problem was felt, I... Was a, yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt what you. What were you going to say? I'm thinking... Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking if I were you, how I would be feeling. And I, I feel like... Did you have a feeling of loneliness? Was that one of the ways you would have described yourself in those days? Yeah, and then it started turning 
but then it started, um, but I dealt with it in a different way that most people would. Um, most people just take that kind of accept it and just kind of take it laying down and, and just say, Oh, well, and shrug it off. And, but I was very assertive and I felt like I actually belonged being accepted by the popular kids. So I would go up to them and brazenly start conversations. I didn't know how to just naturally fit in with them. So I would just say things um, that were very inappropriate, but would get their attention because I felt like it was better to piss people off than to be ignored. So I would go up to a guy, you know, a guy hanging out with his girlfriend and they're around a bunch of other kids and I would go up to the couple and I would be like, so have you guys had sex yet? Have you met each other's parents yet? What was your last argument? And, but the alternative was just taking it down and lying, taking it lying down and being ignored. And I was not going to tolerate that. So it's a good thing that I got removed from high school uh, because I thought I might've gotten myself in real trouble. Um, at, I would have, I would have just continued to lash out. Hmm. As I listen to you tell this story, and I'm thinking about my own children in school and how they went through school, and um, I, I think about my own daughter and how different she was because she was a vegetarian and she was against animal rights and she had real specific views on things. And, you know, she didn't really care if you liked her or not. But that's a little bit different when you're trying to fit in. And I, I think it was very brave of you. Maybe you, you see that as being overly aggressive and assertive and maybe at times inappropriate. But I think it's pretty impressive that you had the courage to even do that. But it sounds like things were kind of tipping in a way that, that the next thing happened, Derek, and you decided to send Dylan to boarding school in New Hampshire. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, when he was a sophomore, they, when he was, like he said, he, he had kind of hit a, a new low and was talking about suicide, uh, which he's mm. got some interesting interesting uh, perspective on that now. He talks about when in, when he's, Dylan does his speaking engagements, he talks about how he used the word suicide as a rhetorical tool, uh, which... I didn't even know till about well, six weeks ago, and he, I heard him say it on a podcast. <laughs> so I'm um, wow. about Dylan. But we didn't know that at the time. We were just terrified that he was going to hurt himself, and so we had, felt mm-hmm. like we had to take some kind of drastic measure to get him someplace safe. Mm-hmm. But it was difficult because we felt like complete failures that we couldn't well, handle our kid. An... Hmm. And you have other children too, don't you? We have three daughters. Yeah. Wow. So you have a big, younger, have a big family. Daughters. Got it. So Dylan, here you are suddenly not living at home in, a, in, a, in an environment that you're very familiar with. And not that New Hampshire is all that far from Maine, which I have to say, New Hampshire is another one of my favorite states. Um, what was that like <laughs> for you being in New Hampshire and away from your family? Uh that that part was all right because I think uh, my family and I are better in small doses. Um, but it was I was only there for about a month though. So. Oh okay. When I when I went to I went to another I got uh, removed from that school right before I got I was about to get kicked out. My parents pulled me out 
to save a little face. And uh, then I went to a wilderness school in North Carolina uh, for people with autism. And uh, after having trying so hard to fit in and achieve some sort of normalcy in high school, uh, going to a wilderness school uh, where we had no TV, no internet, no cell phones, with a bunch of other lower-functioning autistic kids, uh, I say that it felt like I was a kid trying to make it out of the hood, and I ended up in a homeless shelter. Like an inner-city oh, kid trying to make it out of the hood. Mm-hmm. That's, that's but ending up in a homeless shelter. <laughs> yeah, I, you know. And I, rightfully I, so. And my, you know what? My feelings were 100% justified. <laughs> but sometimes yeah. that, is what, that is what it is. You know something, and you said something that's critically important, and I, and I cannot be overemphasized. Your feelings are your feelings. They don't have to be justified. Um, whether you have autism, whether you are the, your dad, whether you're me over here in Los Angeles like you are, what we feel is what we are entitled to feel. How we react to our feelings and what we do with our feelings, sure, we can use some help, but being justified in having your feelings and owning them is, is authentic. And I can appreciate that that's what you just described. And Derek, when we talk about Amy and your daughters, um, how do you feel like they were affected when Dylan went off to boarding school? To be honest with you, everybody was kind of relieved because <laughs> Dylan was a lot of stress on the family. Uh, Amy and I Mm -hmm. often spent 90% of our time and energy on 25% of our children. So it was, Mm -hmm. it was very challenging to have Dylan, like Dylan said, uh, we all do better in small doses of Dylan, but, um, but it was, it was hard at first, you know, I mean, just setting the table for five instead of six was was difficult uh, at first, just realizing that he was gone and and uh, like I said, feeling feeling like like we had failed um, was yeah. was it was it was challenging. Uh, ultimately, my girls are all better people because of Dylan. I write about that in Chasing the Rabbit. Uh, Dylan writes about his relationship with his sisters and bad choices make good stories. Um, they're big part of everybody's life and and uh, they've been a big part of Dylan's life as well I'm just thinking about putting my place myself in your position or, or, or Amy's position at that time when when Dylan wasn't living with you and you're setting that that I mean that's a really graphic um, a, a visualization of setting that table what you just said I, I can visualize that did you did you guys get help Dylan, Dylan's, um, you know, out at his wilderness school, but did you, did you guys get help for just processing what you were doing as well? No, not really. I mean, we, okay. we went to, there, there were some counselors that we went to over the years um, mm-hmm. and you can, people can read about them in Chasing the Rabbit because it was a pretty right. horrible experience. Uh, we had one counselor oh, tell us that Dylan was incapable of feeling love. Uh, we had another counselor mm-hmm. basically tell us that Dylan's there's nothing wrong with Dylan. We just have we're just horrible parents. Um, oh my god! And we 
and we believed him. We said, okay, well, geez, we must just suck. And so we did what he told us, which completely backfired and ended up with Dylan in the psychiatric unit. So, yeah, mm. not not great, not great times, but no, uh, no. we learned, learned from them. And hopefully other people can learn from our mistakes. Well, you know what? Let's use a different word. Instead of mistakes, why don't we use the word experience? Because, you know, sure. it's it's like anything in life. We don't know what we don't know. I, I use that, that all the time in my own personal life. And, you know, we do the very best that we can. I, I think the mistake is when we don't do the very best that we can. But, you know, it's it's a learning process, not just for you, but for your wife, for your daughters, for Dylan, your family. It, you know, you don't live insular. You, you, have a, you live in a community. And, you know, that everyone is affected, but the goal remains the same, which is how do we help Dylan? How, how do we help Dylan um, get through this? And, Dylan, I guess that's what my question would be to you, is that how are you feeling in those dark days, and how did you get through them? I mean, this must have been, I'm assuming, difficult. Uh, you mean in high school and 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 then also what, you know, what when days? You were in, in North Carolina, you know, how how did you how did you how are you feeling, and how did you get through that? Uh, well, um, it's often felt like my special interests. You know, the um, the special interest is a a topic an autistic individual becomes obsessed with and focuses on. My my special interests were often felt like my only friend. And so I used uh, music, which uh, my special interest has always been popular music, and uh, I just used that. Uh, I would we would we would be allowed um, an hour on the computer like every week, and I would sneak to look up the Billboard charts, and uh, <laughs> and I would I would tell them that it was uh, an email that was sent to me, so that I would I would get around it, and uh, I would you know look at what was play- being played on the radio, and uh, I would listen to the radio whenever they let us, we would do certain um, like kitchen, cleaning the kitchen and stuff. And they would let us have the radio on and I would always uh, make sure it was on my station. And uh, yeah, that was, that was how I just used my, uh, my interests to kind of as an escape as something to live for. And it was also pretty entertaining often at this school, the kids there were, were train wrecks. Uh, actually, our group in the second semester, they named, there were different groups that you belonged to, and uh, they picked a name, and I picked our name in second semester. It was the train wrecks. And uh, <laughs> so there were That's funny. there were kids there that would do very, um, very bizarre things. You know, there was, uh, there was a kid who would uh, pee in his bed every night, and then he would get kicked out, have to sleep outside, and he would wail and scream all night and in the morning they would have to he was like 400 pounds well maybe like 300 he would they would drag him to the hose and they would have to hose him down naked and he would scream at the top of his lungs Mm. wow wow that's a memory that you probably (laughs) can't easily forget and many many others like that yeah yes but isn't it interesting isn't it so interesting about the music and it that affects all of us, depending upon you know. I mean, it, I know it affects me personally. I'm also v- 
very interested in music, not because I can play an instrument or even carry a great tune, but it does set the stage for my um, my mood. You know, I, I, I don't know if, if either one of you were watching the um, Oscars last night. Did you happen to watch it? No, I was traveling. No. Okay, well, there's... You'll probably see it on the news or somewhere where Lady Gaga is singing with um, with um, what's his name? I can't. I've I've lost him. Oh, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Bradley and at Cooper. one point, he comes and he sits down next to her while she's playing the piano, and they're just like um, forehead to forehead. It was so emotional. It was such mm. a touching moment. And it was music. And music, I think, is a unifier across, across all levels. And um, I think it's terrific that you saw music as a special interest. Is it still an interest to you today, Dylan? Do you still really love music? Yeah, that's always been kind of the, the um, constant interest for me, mm-hmm. um, although there's been different phases of different special interests. So I question maybe it's not a special interest. Maybe it's just my passion in gen, but they're, mm-hmm. they're, the special interests tend to be more temporary. So, um, okay. Yeah. That, 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 and it that's hasn't been temporary. You know no. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting. I, I think there's probably a lot of us that can relate to that as well. You have an interest here and, and maybe yeah. the interest kind of isn't as important and, and you move over to this interest, which is which is terrific. But Derek, you did something that I think would be important for us to hear as we as we go through your stories, because that is really at the crux of why I do what I do, which is what's your story. Um, and so I would just be curious. I know that you um, had mentioned to me that you decided to move Dylan from that wilderness school to Florida after high school. Tell me about the circumstances for that. Well, Dylan got through the school. One of his goals was to graduate with his class at the public school. Uh, so he spent his senior year home and graduated with his class, which was a very, very interesting uh, experience for all of us to see him up on that, up on the graduation stage. But then he graduated and didn't really have any skills to go to college, was just not a good fit. Uh, but we thought, well, we'll give it a try. So we found a program in Florida called New Directions, and they help people on the spectrum get through college. So Dylan uh, enrolled in Palm Beach Community College, moved down to uh, Deerfield Beach, Florida, and uh, tried to go to college, but uh, didn't didn't work out so well. And uh, you can read about that again in, in both our books. There's a lot of stories about there's more stories about Florida in Dylan's book because he was there. So <laughs> Right. Yeah. Gosh. Well, okay, so okay, we're talking Maine. Maine to New Hampshire. That that's similar in its weather patterns <laughs> and things like that. Then then you're off to North Carolina, still down that coast. And now you're even farther south, and now you're in Florida, a much different environment altogether. 
I, I'm trying to imagine, um, Dylan, what that was like for you to now be in Florida. Was what was what was what was that experience like? I realized that I do a lot better when uh, there's a consistent weather kind of pleasant weather um i realized the amount of stress uh that it kind of caused me to be in such uh bad weather conditions like maine where it's so cold nine months of the year and it it just makes it makes me uh i don't know it makes it hard for me to succeed it just adds anxiety and stress and just (laughs) depression uh and so uh that was that was nice and i uh it's just it, it makes it more i don't know um consistent and uh and consistency is important for someone with autism predictability and uh yeah and uh also uh well I was very that was my my interest at that time was uh African American culture and so uh my parents didn't really do this intentionally but they were sending me off to like a paradise land for my special interest uh, and it really poured gasoline on my interest at that point. It could, it happened just at the right time. And when I, I was already kind of into urban music, hip hop and R and B when I was living in Maine. But then once I got to Florida, um, like I said, it was, it was gasoline poured on my interest. And it just, uh, I was, I felt like I was in Disney world, uh, having yeah. black people all around and, and going, being able to shop at urban clothing stores and listen to urban radio stations um, on the dial, it was uh, it was uh, one of the most uh, exciting times of my life. Isn't that isn't that fascinating? I I I I wonder what it was. One is was it the rhythm? Was it the words? Was it well the, having a social dis, a social skills disability? I kind of started observing in high school. Well, I, I realized it started because I um, I started making friends uh, with some unlikely people who I didn't think would accept me, which were some guys that they listened to rap music. They kind of wore baggy clothes and, and fitted hats. They talked with that urban slang and stuff. And I never thought that those guys would think I was funny and want to hang out with me. But it turns out they mm-hmm. did. And so then that kind of got me, that was the switch that turned in my brain. And then I started thinking, well, wait, why can't I dress like that? Because I never really had a style of clothing that I felt fit me. Uh, and I started mm-hmm. saying, well, why, who says I can't wear fitted hats and baggy clothes and jewelry and all that stuff and fresh, fresh kicks. And so then I kind of started dressing like that and then I got really into hip hop and R&B music and now it was now I had a new identity and uh then I kind of rocked with that identity for a year and a half and th- what appealed to me about it was that black people seemed to have better social skills than anybody and it seemed much easier for me to look at the way black men handled social interactions and the way they talked to girls and the the way that they you know reacted to things uh, they're very confident. You know, they have a lot of swag. You can't push them around. Um, they're always kind of very upbeat. And so I was like, well, there's no reason that I can't. Well, because, you know, what do we say in our society? Quote, unquote, skin color doesn't matter. Well, all right. If skin mm-hmm. color doesn't matter, ain't no reason why I can't act like a black guy. And I turn, and I started and doing that. Sad. And yeah because it doesn't matter right so i and i started doing that and it started working uh girls like i I had something i could relate to other teenagers 
dude, ma- ma- males and females. Because um, in high school, that's the thing, listening to rap music, and that's, you know, that's what it's all about. That's a, that's so it helped so me great. socially, and it was my special interest. And it was unlike other special interests, which had been kind of random, you know, one was cars, one was, when I was really little, birds, vacuum cleaners. Mm. This was unlike those in that it actually had a very practical purpose to where I was at that point in my life and the goals I wanted to accomplish. Well, that's, 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 music can do that. I, I said earlier, music can be a real unifier, but um, unfortunately, um you got yourself into a little bit of trouble, didn't you? And I thought, oh, yeah. you know, I, it's 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 part of your story, and you we've got thirty minutes here, so you've got as much time as you'd like. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about what what happened in those next years for you, Dylan. Well, I got myself in trouble by uh, the first time was shoplifting. Uh, I tell the whole story in my book and it's uh, pretty juicy in my book by the way bad choices make good stories uh bad choices make good stories.com if you want to grab it but there's a story all in there about uh my first time going to jail i was actually at uh i was at the mall and i uh dedicated a whole day to going and copping some fresh gear and uh i had learned um i had come up with some tactics for shoplifting um where you go, you kind of, you go in, in the dressing room, you put a bunch of clothes on and then you put some clothes on underneath long sleeve clothes and then you br- bring a bunch out or another thing is I would buy something, but then I would like steal some other things to clear me of any suspicion, you know? And so different stuff like that. And I felt very proud of myself because shoplifting is something not even a, neuro- a lot of neurotypical people might not even be able to pull off, let alone someone with autism I mean, forget reading social skills. You've got to read everything going on in that store and get inside everyone's head from all different angles if you want to get away with shoplifting. Uh, Suffice it to say, this is not something I should be good at, but I pulled it off, which I was very, I felt very proud of myself. And, you know, (laughs) it might sound very juvenile, but my maturity level when I was 19 was probably like a 14 or 15-year-old, and that's when most people shoplift, so. It's just where I was in life. So I got away with stealing from Macy's, Dillard's, and then I went on to Sears, and I felt really cocky. I was really high on myself, and I got a little sloppy. Uh, I abandoned my tactics. I shouldn't have done that. And, uh, you know, that's how all criminals get caught. They get lazy, you know. I threw the backpack into the lawnmower section. I grabbed the shirt, and I threw it in there, walked out, not even outside, walked right back into the mall. And uh, mm-hmm. sure enough, the security, they caught me, and then I went to jail for two days uh, because I didn't have my ID on me. Otherwise, it would have just been a ticket. But in, unfortunately, they had to bring me to jail because I didn't have my identification. So uh, it was kind mm-hmm. of fun the first time being in jail. There were uh, I was in Fort Lauderdale jail, so there were a lot of African-American men in there, and I thought, here's my chance. You know, I can win them over. So I went up and started talking to them. I asked them about their favorite rap songs, and I started started singing them, and they thought it was hilarious, and I had them all cracking up. 
and I felt I felt pretty cool. I felt like wow, if I wish everyone who didn't hang out with me in high school could see me now. Mhm. That's funny, isn't that? You would have thought you would have wow. thought I had a comedy show in the jail cell. It's this, well, I can hear the comedy coming through now. I mean, you know, there's just <laughs> nothing there's nothing funny about shoplifting, but you you did make some interesting points about the fact that you were sophisticated enough to figure out how to do it. Whether or not you would recommend it is certainly another subject. But um, what happened um, as you got a little bit older, and um, did 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 what what came next? Well, I can't. Unfortunately, we have a half an hour, but that's not enough time for me to tell all the stories of me going to jail. Well, tell. But uh, <laughs> a little. Go, go right ahead. Go no, ahead. I know. I just I meant me. if I wanted to tell them, if I wanted to tell them all, I wouldn't be. But so I, I will. Uh, I'll give you some highlights. Uh, sure. The next one was just was underage drinking. I uh, w- I was going to a teen club in Florida. They have these under twenty one clubs for for like minors and I was uh I was 19 so I had to get people to buy alcohol for me so I went to I went to the black part of town and I would just uh stand outside and I would wait for a random person to go in and I would just give them a list of things I wanted and I would be like hey can you get this for me and they'd be like all right what you want what you want and I would they would come back out and then I would give them a tip and so uh that had me feeling pretty BA and then I went to the club with my friend and I I brought some red solo cups and a big thing of vodka and I was passing it around to everyone giving shots um you know I don't mind giving out free stuff in order to make friends I look at it kind of like a friendship loss leader if you will <laughs> and so I I started uh I was making I was making friends with all these these guys and girls in the parking lot and they were like oh dude you're the man and having a great time, but then uh, I drank way too much, and I passed out on the dance floor, and I just remember, like, three or four kids trying to pick me up, and then I remember very vaguely security coming and detaining me, and I got arrested for underage drinking, and uh, I was just there for the night, Um, pretty uneventful, and then, uh, well, let's see, the next time... uh, Fast forward a few years, uh, my parents sent me to, this was their last ditch effort to try and get me on track. They sent me to a program in Utah, and this would be the final program that they sent me to, um, to finally get my life back on track. Um, And I was there, after a few months, I had been doing well in the program, but I I made a very autistic mistake. I thought for some reason um, there was a counselor that lived in the same apartment complex we all were living in. He was my like personal guy that worked with me. And I thought it would be funny if I texted him about a bomb in the building. And, uh, mm. but I, for some reason I thought it would be funny if I texted him from a number that he didn't know. Like uh, I, I used a texting app to assign me a random phone number. So I I have no idea why I thought he would know it was me, but for some reason I thought he, oh, he'll know it's me. He'll know it's a practical joke. And so, uh, yeah, the police had to arrest me for a false alarm, making a bomb threat. And then uh, then there's also, fast forward several more years, there was uh, the arrest for meth. Uh, I got pulled over and I had 
some drugs in my car. They thought that I was drunk driving. And uh, luckily, I didn't get arrested for that because I actually hadn't been drunk driving. Um, but I did have some drugs in the car, and so they found those and uh, went to jail for the night over that, did a little rehab stint, and uh, then I've been drug tested since. Um, so people congratulate me for two years on being clean, but uh, I highly doubt that I would have honestly stayed clean had I not been randomly drug tested. So it's, you know, it's not really that much of an accomplishment. I think you're underselling yourself just from my perspective of, I mean, we haven't met, although we should because you don't live that far from me. But I think that um, the fact that you can stay clean for two years is, is something of an accomplishment depending but I was, it was only you, because it was only because I was getting drug tested well it worked so yeah you know, yeah yeah I mean it, it did work and and it, it's kind of interesting because you know your the name of your book as you've mentioned is bad choices make good stories and certainly you you know you you've you have shared some of those with us and you know most I would say the majority of the people that are listening right now probably have not experienced going to jail once, twice, or three times. It sounds scary to me, but uh, I think that, you know, it it it, it certainly gives you um, some material for your comedy should you try, you, oh, yeah. you know, go to back on that. Um, do you, and your your book was just recently released. Am I right? It was just this past, is it was this past November that your book came out? Yes, it was. Yeah, and how long did it take you to write it? About a year of really working on it. Okay, it's not easy to write a book, is it? Yeah, no, you can say that again. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I bet that's true, Derek. I know that you're still there, and I, and I wanted, and and to have, to have Dylan have that no, opportunity no to share that because yeah, it's, no, it's really great. But oh, he is the star, and and. But he, but you've played a part in this too, and I'm just curious. When he was having all of those legal problems, do you um, see that being tied to his autism? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Dylan, when he he speaks and he talks about some of his job experiences, um, which actually, if you go to badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, you can see Dylan doing a presentation in Denver last year talking about how he got fired at a camp for disabilities because of his disability. And people will say, mm-hmm. well, you can't do that. It's not legal. Well, mm-hmm. you can't get fired for your disability, but you can get fired for decisions you make that were due to your disability. And so I would probably I say the same thing about some of his arrests. Uh, were they directly tied to his disability? Well, that that could be up for debate, but I think that <laughs> his disability led to him making poor decisions, which then led to him getting arrested. So, in mm-hmm. kind of like the the getting fired at the camp for people with disabilities, they didn't fire him for his disability, but there's certainly a, uh, a you know a line graph of some sort that you could probably make from one to the other. I see. Would you so, agree, Dylan? How, what did it? Yeah, some of them are more related to the disability and some of them are are less. Like the getting arrested for for the meth uh 
it's probably actually uh, I don't think that one had much to do with my disability at all. I think anybody it's it's actually probably impressive considering my disability that I got away with it for so long, and also that I didn't get arrested for the drunk driving because I had the skill to haggle the cops to the point where they didn't give me the breathalyzer. They took me into the station, and by the time they do all the paperwork, they you got like an extra couple hours, and I got down below the legal limit. So I actually like swindled the cops there. Thank God. But, um, but it deservedly, yeah, but deservedly so because it was my friend who had been driving and then she called a cab because AAA was backed up and we were in the, in 10 degree weather and it was going to be an hour. So she called a cab and then I move over to the driver's seat because I'm not going to sit in the passenger seat of my own car while waiting for AAA and I had the car running for heat because it was 10 degrees in January in Maine. And the cops tried to tell me that because I had the car in park and I was running it, that was drunk driving. And so I was like, oh these, <laughs> I was like, and, but, but they thought that I actually had been driving, but you know, I, I didn't care because if anything should be black and white, it should be the law. Right. So like, why mm -hmm. should I care how the cops felt the, the law, if anything in the world is going to be black and white. Is like that should be it. But anyway, sorry, we are off track here. Well, the question was about my arrest. Well, no, I think I, I and you know what? There's not a track, so it, it's really okay if it's just it's just a roadmap that we're taking. And I and I appreciate coming. I appreciate coming along for the ride, um, Dylan. Truly. Okay. Um, when Derek, Derek, when you um, wrote your book in 2015, that must have meant an awful lot to you. But you, you talk about the fact that that there was a, a portion where you were really mourning about what you what you wrote about. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, I I talk about that in, in uh, Chasing the Rabbit because I think it's something that a lot of parents, especially fathers, have to go through to to accept this this son because autism is very, very heavily weighted toward boys. It's like 80-20. Um, mm -hmm. So to accept that your son is not going to be what you had in mind. Uh, you know, he's not going to be captain of the baseball team. He's, you know, he's not going to be, you know, probably take over the family business. There's, there's a lot of things that you have to kind of accept uh, when you have a child with a disability that are, are not easy to accept. Um, but that that process that I went through, I you know I described as mourning because the counselors actually said that to me. He said you need to mourn the child that you thought you were going to have, so you could love the one that God gave you. And that was mm -hmm. really good advice. Uh, not easy to no do. Uh, it took me a mm -hmm. long time, and actually writing the book helped me get through. I think maybe the final stages of that. Where I mean, I always loved Dylan, but there were a lot of times where I just didn't like him. Um, mm -hmm. and now, now I like him and I enjoy spending time with him. And I told my wife when I was leaving him at some conference, we were at somewhere in the country. I don't even remember where. And I said to her, I, it's, I'm happy to be sad because <laughs> I'm leaving, because we're going different directions. And I used to, honestly, I was happy with Dylan went in another room, much less another state. So the fact that you know, I was kind of sad to see him you know, get on a plane and go a totally different direction um, mm -hmm. kind of made me happy, you know, in a weird way. 
Yeah, no, that I that that makes that makes sense. It sounds like healing to me. Um, you, you, Dylan, you and your dad have been traveling all over the country um, for over three years, um, talking about your story and your dad's book. And what is it like? I have a feeling I could I almost know the answer to this, but what is it like for you speaking to live audiences? Do you love that? Yes, yes, I like it. I'm more comfortable on stage than off stage. I, People I say, don't you get nervous? They say, don't don't you get nervous? And I say, no, I'm nervous when I'm not on stage. I get that. It, you know what? I think people that are listening would probably understand that as well. You, you, I know you're not physically on a stage right now, but um, I hear so much confidence in your voice. And um, I, I really do. And it's, it's interesting because is, is Thank you. comedy what you would really like to pursue? Is that, is that something you'd like to really pursue on a professional level? Uh, yeah, writing? not necessarily stand-up comedy, though. But, yeah, uh, okay. you know, I would say entertainment, um, whether it's public speaking, uh, writing, being a talk show host, or uh, I, I really mm-hmm. think uh, a reality show based on my life would – be the perfect medium but yeah I certainly am very comedic people say comedian they automatically think stand-up comedian but that's just one type of comedy you you know what that thank you for clearing clarifying that because I had a, a thought about that but you're right um there there is a difference and um you speak very well and there are lots of different opportunities and and because you have written a book and because you are getting um, noticed, you do have your YouTube. You have all kinds of incredible ways that uh, people can can get in touch with you. Uh, we're going to talk about that certainly before we we conclude this show because I think it's really important as people are listening that most people would spell Dylan D Y L A N, which is how you do spell your name, but that is not how you spell your name on your social media, which is D-I-E-L-A-W-N, Volk, V-O-L-K. But we'll talk a little bit of that in just a moment. But, and Derek, you know, you, 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 I know you're very proud. It, it's clear that your family is very proud of, of what Dylan has been able to do. And it's, um, your, your book is very detailed about um, his legal troubles and his addiction was, it hard to read to to write all about that was that was that a difficult part for you um yeah there were some more difficult the, the addiction was not in my book because that happened after that's only in in bad okay. choices make good stories but um the, the there were parts of the book that were very difficult to write um because i was essentially reliving it uh, when mm-hmm. I, as i was writing it um so him, when the story of, of him going to the psychiatric unit at a local hospital was very difficult to write. That took me several, several rounds of going through it before I could get through, mm-hmm. get through it. And uh, I recorded the whole book. And then my daughter who actually transcribed it for me. So wow. I kept having to say, hold on, Mariah, I'm going to have to finish this later. Uh, because I would get too choked up to talk. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there were some, there were some, 
Actually, one of the hardest chapters to get through was the chapter about him losing his cat um, because that was just a really tough time in his life. It was right when he went to Utah, and uh, shortly after he left for Utah, his cat died, and oh, that was really it was really hard to to go through that again, and because it was it was such a sad thing that not only was he you know out there in Utah and kind of like you said a last ditch effort to try to save him from self destruction, but then the thing that meant the most to him in the world died right after he left, and it was really that was actually one of the hardest chapters to write. That wasn't the really sad part, though, about it. Tell her the really sad part of the story, the eerie part. Oh, you tell us. You tell us, Dylan. No, 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 I want him to tell it. Okay. Okay, so so when we told Dylan he was going to go to this this program out in Utah called At the Crossroads in St. George, Utah, who were fantastic and probably literally saved his life, he – he said, well, can I take my cat? And we said, no, you, you can't. His cat's name was Beautiful Boy. And we said, no, you can't yeah. take Beautiful Boy. And he, you know, he had a really, that was the hardest part of him going to the pro- program was the fact that he couldn't take Beautiful Boy because he had taken Beautiful Boy to Florida. Um, everywhere that he had gone the last, the previous few years, Beautiful Boy had gone with him. And he had a really hard time because at the time, the cat was kind of his only friend in the world um, and the only one that was always there for him. So when he, when he left, he said, well, you're going to send me this program and I'm never going to see him again. And we said, no, we're going to take really good care of him. And as soon as you're ready, we'll send him out. And he said, nope, that's not the way my life works. You know, I'm going to go to this program. He's going to die and I'm never going to see him again. And oh. we kept telling him, no, he's fine. He's fine, you know. And then a week after Dylan left, beautiful boy had a heart attack and died. So it it was, Dylan said, right. You know, he <laughs> told me to tell the story. It, it was kind of eerie how that happened, and how he almost oh, yeah. foretold it. Wow. Have you since got a cat? Um, now that you're out here, Dylan, do you have a cat in your, in the place that you live? I actually have a roommate who has cats, uh, which is great because cool. I get to have the cats, but I don't have to pay for them. <laughs> well, that's kind of nice. And do they like you, or are they yeah. are just you know? They're very cats friendly sort of cats. They're very oh good. Yeah, they're very friendly cats. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so great. I, I, you you really do. You really have such a tremendous personality. Truly, uh, um, I think it would be terrific for people to know how they can connect with you on social media because, you know. Much like myself, I, I depend on social media. I want people to listen to our show. I want people to listen to my show next week. It's, it's very important when you've got something to say. So let's talk about um, some of the ways that, that people can, um, can follow you on your different social media platforms. Well, I am real Dylon everywhere. So R-E-A-L-D-I-E. L-A-W-N. Dylon is uh, my nickname I got in high school, and I just use that as my stage name. It's an alteration of Dylan. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so if you – yeah, I'm real Dylon uh, everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, Twitter. Yeah, and you do have some you, – you have a YouTube channel, correct? Yeah, yeah. 
I give my thoughts every day there. Um, I just give my thoughts on any number of topics, uh, kind of uh, my thoughts on life. Uh, Here, I'll give you an example. Yes, please. Did. Are you pulling one up? Is that what you're doing? About I did a video where I uh, I talked about how when people say that they just want you to be happy, that's that's always BS. Like if if I really like someone, you know, like a romantic situation or or a friendship mm-hmm. situation, I don't want the person to be happy unless it's with me. Like I I don't want I don't want to lose a friend and then I'm not I'm be like oh I just I just want them to be happy I only want you happy if if you're my friend or if it's a girl it's like I don't who I really like like I don't want you to be happy unless it's with me let's just be real. That's interesting. Like that's <laughs> and so every day you do this right I mean you're you're very deep. Like people have to really um, come to get to know you so you do this every day on YouTube. You just you, you have yeah yeah I try to do it every here. day. Yes yes. Right um, now I'm uh in I'm in the process of stepping up the uh, I'm working with somebody who's going to help me step up uh, the production quality to another level. And so yeah, watch for that. Real Dylon on YouTube. D I E L A W N. That's terrific. And you know, had so have you thought about podcasting, which seems to be, you know, the way people are picking up information now, and it's so easy. Have you thought about being a podcaster yourself? Yeah, I actually am starting. I'm in the process of getting that going off the ground. It's going to be called No Offense, Outrageous Autism, uh, hosted by Dylon. And, uh, yes, but that's not uh, – that's in development right now. So Great. If you follow that's... me on my social media, I'll keep you updated. That's, that's so cool. Podcasting is such a – I was – uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself, because I don't know that you know this, one year ago, right now, on the last Monday of February, I was coming upon my third anniversary, um, uh, the host of the Born to Talk radio show, but I was doing it in a studio where I was both audio and visual, which meant that people had to travel to get to the studio in order to be my guests, and so clearly that limits who's available. I mean, Los Angeles is a big city, but you're not going to drive from Denver. So, you know, it, you, I was limited to who I could have as my guest. And when that opportunity came to a close, the following Monday, the first Monday of March, I began my podcasting. And while I would really prefer to be looking at you and having a, you know, of the more intimacy of actually looking at my guests and having eye contact, this has allowed me to have you on the show, Dylan. You could have gotten to the studio from L.A., but for your dad, who's across the, the the United States and on the other on the other coast, you know, to have the opportunity to have people from all over is really the the beautiful side of podcasting, and you'll be able to have that same opportunity. and And I know that there, you know, you were on a show today that um, was a visual show. So I mean, there are different ways that um, people can can do podcasting. But I I do wish you the very best in that because. I love the title. I mean, I think that's, I think that's really great, and I think you're inspiring other people that are on the spectrum. And I think that that was one of the reasons, frankly, that I wanted to have you on the show today, so that you could share your story and to have your dad on the show today. Let me tell you, 
he said to me, oh, you should just have Dylan on the show. He could do the full hour. He's a rock star. Your dad loves you more than life itself. And I, and I can see that, that you could definitely do an hour with me, and, and perhaps we'll, we'll do this again six months down the road. But I think together what you both share is your common story, a father and a son. And I don't often have fathers and sons together on my show, and I think that that's the beauty of this particular podcast. And I, I just, I think it's, it's great. And Derek, I, I wanted to ask you a one, one other question, and that is, what's up next for you? I know what's up next for Dylan. Do you see another book in your future? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, right now, my, my goal is to help Dylan promote bad choices, make good stories, uh, mm-hmm. continue to get more speaking engagements. Uh, we love sharing our story, and uh, so we have a bunch of bunch of things set up we're heading to savannah dylan speech and then fort lauderdale then we're going to oklahoma and missouri and so it's uh that that's kind of where our our efforts focus right now i've i've joked that i could write a book called traveling with dylan because the last three (laughs) years we've been traveling around the country and i have lots of stories about traveling with dylan which have been interesting as well as just the experience of sharing our story and the impact that it's had on people uh has been way more than I ever expected. So if I if I never spoke again or never sold another book, I'd be I'd be perfectly fine with how it all worked out because it's it's been way more than I ever anticipated as far as well, I can, the the rewarding aspect yeah. of it. Well, I can tell you this, since he lives on this side, if you find yourself or when you find yourself over on this side, we should plan to get together because I would like to meet the two of you in person. I think it would be just fabulous. And I, I, I want to thank you both for, for joining me today. It's, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this show. But before we say goodbye, I would like to let everybody know what's happening next week because it's a whole different topic. And next week's show is with my guests from an organization called The Thirst Project. And Luke Romick and Evan Wesley are going to be my guests. And this is a nonprofit that started 10 years ago by a 19-year-old college kid named Seth Maxwell. And he realized that there was a crisis for clean water in many countries. And he, along with six of his college friends, started a movement to bring clean water to countries that just didn't have access to clean, drinkable water. And now they go to high schools and colleges to speak with students about raising the awareness and bringing solutions to this global water crisis. And they have actually built water wells in over 11 countries, uh, providing fresh water to over 100,000 people through their fundraising efforts. And Luke and Evan will be sharing their incredible work and what they're doing to educate and inspire students about this crisis. And they will be my guests next week. So two men, father and father and son this week, two friends next week. I love what I do, and I'm just so delighted that, that the two of you took the time out of your day today to share your story with my guests on the Born to Talk radio show. I, I so appreciate you joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. It, it's been my pleasure. Now go out and enjoy the rest of this day. And Wolf will continue to follow you on social media. And I just thank you once again. Have a marvelous day. And thanks, everybody, for for always listening in and your support. 
And I look forward to having you joining me again next week. So long for now.